Uh, we're doing the book of Malachi, and it looks as if this cow is jumping up and being raptured. So my dad's like, is this cow being raptured? What's going on with this picture? And uh, uh, no, it's, let's see the little verse here that tells about what's going on. Um, so Mal, uh, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, as far as the English Bible is concerned. There's debate whether there's other books that were written after Malachi. And then when Malachi is done, there's a, there's a period of time where they call it the silent years until, until John the Baptist shows up. But uh, silent in the, in, the, in the sense that there was nothing written, but, there, but God was definitely moving in that time and uh, very present, very active. But we are, this is, this is the last book of the English Bible. It's a neat book. It's fascinating. Uh, next week we're going to do Job. So I, I wanted to tack on Job at the very last book in the Old Testament that we are studying. It's because Job is probably the most unique book of the Old Testament. And I just wanted to make sure that we highlighted it and, and differentiated it from the rest of the scriptures. But uh, Malachi is the last one. And uh, let's get your Bibles out. Because the very first opening right out of the gate is probably the most profound thing. And when I, when, I began this, when I began studying for this sermon and I was reading Malachi, I glossed over this so fast. You ever do that? Like you're just reading your Bible and you just gloss over stuff. You gloss over the main point because it all sounds, I mean, is it just me? You read the Bible and it all sounds the same after a while? That's the case. Like, get a different version. Try the message. Try, try something. But uh, if you feel like it, it's just like, you know, these and those and those, and although um, King James is, is great. Um, but I glossed over this. And this opening statement is meant to be memorized. It's meant to be like, we're going to meditate on this. I know that might sound weird, but the Bible tells us to meditate on his word day and night. And we're going to meditate on this, the very first words coming out of Malachi, this, this prophet, the last prophet in Judah or Israel, if you will. Because if you don't, like if we don't meditate on this, I don't think you're going to leave here blessed. Malachi is a difficult book, but it is all about blessing you. Do you want to be blessed? I think so, right? Or would you rather be cursed? I don't know. Some of us tend to, I don't know, we have a destructive you know, tendencies. Some of us actually want bad things to happen to us. Even unconsciously, we want bad things to happen to us because therefore we don't have to take responsibility for what God's given us. Malachi is a huge book, so we've got to get the first words. Like, meditate on it, deep down inside in our hearts. Because if, if you don't, you're not going to get it. This book is way too heavy for you to understand in your spirit unless you get this first part. Here it is. Verse 2, chapter 1, verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. It's very simple. I have loved you. And God is speaking directly to uh, the people of Judah, intermittent, because it says Israel here, so Israel's mixed in. The nation of Israel is mixed in with the nation of Judah. It's all very complicated. We don't have time to get into it. But what God is saying is, I have loved you to the people. And he's saying it to us right here, right now, to us individuals. I have loved you. We lose a little bit of the intensity in the translation. Because it really comes across as, I have always loved you. It's the meaning that this, this love that God has for his people and the love that God has for you, it is not conditional and it is in the internal. He has always loved us. Malachi is unique and there's a, there's a 
There's a discourse, there's a dialogue between God and his people. The people actually respond. We've got to meditate on this. Though God is saying to us, I have always loved you. How many people feel like God hasn't always loved us? You ever felt like that? Have you ever felt like God doesn't care? Have you ever just like poured your heart or your heart out crying because you feel like God's not answering your prayers, like you're not being blessed. God is saying to us, he's saying meditate on this truth. This is a divine, eternal truth. I have always, always loved you. No matter what the circumstances are, no matter what the situations are, no matter how bad you screwed up or no matter how bad you did not serve me, the lack of service, the lack of whatever, I have always loved you, even at your worst. Can you think about your worst, the worst that you have done in your life? Being banned from Russia, God still loved me. Even though I was in jail, God still, story from another time, folks. I was still, God still loved me. God still loved me. All those other things that I did, even though when deep down in my, my heart, I resented God, verbally I said to God I didn't like him anymore, God still loved me. Despite the foul things and the nasty attitudes that I harbored and the bitterness and the control and the guilt and the shame and all that kind of crap, God still loved me, always, always. Here's the beautiful thing about this book is that they respond. God comes out of the gate, I have always loved you. In Judah slash Israel, they respond. You ready for this? But you ask, how have you loved me? No, it's not, it's not asking, there, there's, a, there's cynicism in this tone. There is, they're not asking for specifics they feel like they have been let down by God. If you've been following along, you know what the historical context is. They were told that they were going to come back into Israel and into Jerusalem. They were going to rebuild. The temple was going to be fabulous. The walls were going to be high. And they were going to have a Messiah, and all the nations were going to rush to them and serve them, and it didn't happen. Everything's in shambles. They, they feel like they have been let down, like their prophetic words did not come true. Like they've been obeying God their entire lives. In fact, they haven't. But they've been obeying God their entire lives. They've already suffered plenty. And now they're saying, really, God, you have loved us? Because it sure doesn't feel like you have loved us. This is the discord. This is the conversation that's happening. Are you ready for this message? Are you really ready for this? It's not going to be easy. Trust me, I know I've been preparing for it all week. I didn't want to teach on Malachi. Who wants to teach on Malachi except for televangelists? I don't want to teach this. This is hard. They said, how have you loved us, God? Really? Really? And this is what he has to say. Let's go to verse 6. As sons honor his fathers and a servant his master, if I am a father, where is the honor due me? Like we call God our father all the time. He requires honor. It's very difficult for people that don't have honorable natural fathers. It's so hard. Like one of the biggest spiritual blocks that, that we have towards God the Father it happens in this space when our natural father has been dishonorable. It's, it's just difficult. You've got to get through it. You've got to be healed. You've got to be delivered of that kind of stuff. And, and we've seen it happen. God has always loved you. He has always been your honorable father. If I am a master, where is my, where is my respect, says the Lord? It is you, O priests, who show contempt for my name. 
But you ask, see, here's the question again. But you ask, how have we shown contempt? So God says, this little conversation back and forth. I have always loved you. How have you always loved us? Well, you have been showing contempt towards my name. You have not honored me. And it's like a teenager. How many people deal with teenagers? This is a conversation with the teenager. This is a conversation with, oh, I love teenagers, so I'm sorry. Let's just say, because sometimes there's adults that are walking around like immature people, right? So this, we're dealing with somebody that has, we're dealing with an entire nation, entire people that have this uh, spirit of entitlement. Spoiled brat syndrome. And for an entire nation, how have we contempted you? Now, okay, again, skimming the Bible, I, I skimmed right over the part where God loves us. And then I was skimming over the part where the priests are involved in the whole situation. He goes on to say, you have shown contempt towards me because you are offering sacrifices that are sick. Because you know how they used to, you know, they didn't have, they didn't necessarily, they had money. And, and well, maybe I'll get into this. So they had currency back then, but it's an agrarian society, so most you know, most tra transactions happen with animals. And so they have, they have this system built in. And so what, what people are doing when they're bringing in their offering to the Lord, it's in the form of an animal. Sometimes they say it's in the form of bread. Uh, whenever bread and even animals is used in this context, it's like interchangeable with currency. Uh, I don't know, back in the day, like you old guys used to say, like, how much bread do you have in your wallet, right? So bread meant cash. For us young folks, that's what they used to call it. What, what, what's, what's cash nowadays for young folks? What do we call it? I don't know. You don't have, you guys don't have it anymore. You, they, just have, they just have debit cards. It's going to be my plastic. So, so when you bring the plastic in for the offering, there's contempt there. Now, this is, like, so when I was working on this, and I was really, because again, it's awkward, because we're going to, because Malachi talks about Ready? It talks about giving and giving financially. That's the whole theme of it. It's all about the condition of the heart and the attitude of the heart that we give in. And so, it's like, man, Lord, I don't really want to do this. Because, because when, you, when you preach Malachi, it's as if I'm trying to squeak extra dollars out of everybody. Hmm? I didn't have a choice to preach this sermon today because we'd be going along in this series. It comes up. It's in the Bible. All Scripture is God-breathed. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, training. It's in there for a reason. Malachi is in the Bible to be preached. And so I'm just thinking to myself, oh, gosh, it's, like, I, I, it's awkward, Lord. And you know what the Lord told me? He said, this message, yeah, it's for, the, it's for the congregation, but son, it's more for you because you're the priest of this house. Who's getting in trouble here? Yeah, the people are kind of getting in trouble because they're bringing in defiled animals, and they want God to accept it. So they're bringing in their goats like, like that's barfing on the way into their altar. And they've got the other sheep that's like missing an eye, and it's all wiggy. And so it's like, you know... It's, they're not giving God their best. They're giving God their leftovers. They're giving God the, their slack. You like the barfing goat thing or the, the wiggy animal? But the priests don't care because meat is meat. The priests don't care what they get. They just need to get it. And God goes after the priest. So, I'm saying this for your behalf, but I'm also saying it on my behalf because God is going after the priests and he's saying to the priests, you need to teach the people how to give correctly. And you need to teach them that if they come in with half-hearted hearts and if they come in only giving scraps, 
If they come in giving what's left over on their gift cards, which happens, I understand, we're grateful, but you need to understand that those, that's not God's, that's not, you're not giving God his best. You ready for this? It's defiled. Like these sacrifices that they're giving to the temple, that they're giving to God, they are defiled. Even though the priest can use it because he can make money on it, or he can do whatever he needs to do to, to increase the coffers of the temple with sick animals. Regardless, the sacrifice is defiled. Okay, we don't give goats and sheeps anymore. We give plastic and currency and whatever and checks. I'll give you a practical example of a defiled offering. A defiled offering is something that comes with conditions. Uh, years ago, uh, Dad was the senior pastor. I was the associate pastor responsible for making sure that all the bills got paid. Robin, Peter to pay Paul so that we could turn on the lights, all this kind of stuff. You know, I was responsible, you know, refinancing the mortgage, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, there's this season. There's, there's, there's financial seasons. And we were in a low financial season in the church. And we had somebody, it, it, and this is, the, this is just the case. It's human nature Hopefully you're going to break out of human nature and break yourself into divine nature, but it is human nature. It's the 80-20% rule. In churches, it's 10-90, meaning that 10% of the congregation supports 90% of the giving. It's just the way that it is. And one of the individuals in the church who was one of the wealthiest people in the church, he's not here anymore, so I'm going to make fun of him. Um, the guy quit bringing in his, he quit dropping his offering, his offering into the basket, and he would walk it in on Tuesday or Wednesday into the office to have a conversation about how he wanted to see things done and what songs he wanted sung in the morning. Yeah. What programs that he thought that would benefit the church. And Pastor Larry, God bless him, would just slide that check right back across the desk and I am freaking out because I'm like, are you kidding me? We need it. I've got to pay the mortgage on the church building. We need that money. We're not a denomination. There is no foundation. It's faith. We, this church lives by faith. Week by week. And he slides this check back. I'm like, Tanner, what are you doing? He says, it's defiled. It's defiled. It wasn't done in an act of worship. It's done in an act of control and manipulation. We pay the mortgage for one time, but spiritually there's no benefit to it. The heart's wrong. You see? heart's wrong. He's earning something. He's buying something. You can't buy God's love because right out of the book, right out of the, right out of the gate, I have always loved you. You can't buy my love. Told you this is going to be hard. So as a, like, this message is for me today because I have to stand before God and I have to say, I've been a good priest. And I told the people what your word said. And your word says, tithe. <laughs> your word says, don't give defiled offerings. Do you realize that offerings and worship are the same thing? You ready? I, this is going to be so uncomfortable. I'm sorry. But I have to do this because the Lord told me to do this. I'm not trying, again, I don't, I'm trying to squeak extra dollars out of the offering plat basket. No, I'll show you that in a second. One of our conditions in our culture, one of our cultural ailments, we all know this to be true, is entertainment. Right? We love our entertainment. We love our Netflix, 
We love our Disneyland. We love our Universal Studios. We love our Las Vegas. I could go on, right? I could go on and on and on. We are an entertainment culture. So if you come into the house of God and if you offer him your sacrifices only in the form of praise hallelujah, hallelujah, Jesus, and if you are crying at the altar, and if there is no pain when you give, if you can't hit the 10%, your worship's defiled. I know. I told you it was hard, but this is what the Word of God says. I, I, look, trust me, I don't like it any more than you, but I am required to teach it this way. Let me go. I got a couple of Bibles here. I read the one that I like the most. <laughs> Oh, priest, you despise my name, but you say, how have we despised your name? By offering polluted food upon my altar. Other translations, it says bread. Bread, food, meat, currency, it's all the same thing. And in, in the Hebrew, it's, it's meant to be that way. By saying that the Lord may be able, excuse me, by saying that the Lord's table may be despised. And when you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor and see how well that goes. Let me interpret this to you. If you, sell, if, you, if you tell the tax man, you know what, I only feel like giving whatever I feel like giving at the moment. How's that going to go over with the governor? How's that going to go over with the tax man if you decide what you are going to give? Is he, what's the tax man going to do? I know what the tax man's going to do. He's going to get into your bank account. He will take more than you owe. Verse 10, oh, that there were among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle the fire on my altar in vain. Uh, let's go to the NIV real quick. I like the way this one says it. So that you would not light useless fires on my altar. Does that make sense? You give half-heartedly. You give something that's defiled. You give out of a begrudging attitude. You give with conditions. Like, you give, but on your check, you say, I want this to go to so-and-so. That happens quite a bit, actually. Or not, not so much anymore, but it used to happen. Um, you quench the fire of the altar. It doesn't, it doesn't become spiritual anymore. It gets burned up. Crazy, isn't it? Okay. You guys doing okay? Chapter 2. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with your tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Have you ever given and nothing happened? I remember teaching one time on tithing. Again, it's always an awkward conversation. I was teaching on tithing once, and somebody, uh, you, know, you know what preachers do. You know what televangelists do. And I'm not, I'm not going after televangelists, please. I've got to quit doing that. Um, but 
you know, it's like you'll get the tenfold, the thirtyfold, and the hundredfold. If you, you know, those who, who, who sow sparingly will reap sparingly. If you sow in abundance, you'll reap in abundance. It's a, it's a true spiritual principle. It happens on God's timeline, not yours. This is, this is so frustrating because, what, because not only are we an entertainment culture, we are a fast food culture. And I want it, and I want it now. We cannot wait. We can't wait for our food. We can't wait for our money. We can't wait for whatever it may be. We have to have it, and we have to have it now. Instant gratification. And I, I remember somebody like tithed once, and they waited an entire week. A whole week. They're very patient people. And God did not bless them. Therefore, the scriptures must not be true. Maybe you've heard this. Again, Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament, and we live under a New Testament, under a new covenant. So therefore, Torah law does not apply to the the New Testament believer. All right, do you really want to go there? Do you really want to go there? Because... I, the, you know, you can you can Google this stuff, and the people that have that will that will criticize you know the the law on this, the Old Testament law, and they say this is a New Testament thing. We are not required to give the tithe. Okay, read the Book of Acts. Read what new. Okay, here's your options. You have you have an option. For those of you that are black and white, that this is a good deal. Malachi is a good deal. Torah law is a great deal. Like sign me up. Because the alternative is grace. And when you enter into grace, well, that just could just be everything then. Like that could be your entire house. Like everything. I love new church plants. When they pop up, they say, we're an Acts 2 type of church. No, you're not. You're not even close to being an Acts 2 church. Because you're all really greedy and selfish, like me. I don't know how to share. I tell you right out, I have, I have only child syndrome. Acts 2 church. New Testament church. Acts 2 and Acts 5. It said that all of the believers, all of them got together and they held everything in common. They pooled all their resources. They all cashed out their 401ks. They all sold their houses. They all got cots. They all lived in a nice little Christian commune, and they shared everything. And it lasted for about 10 years. But that is New Testament tithing. That's New Testament giving. That is giving under grace, and it means you give everything. It just didn't go over too well. Uh, the Jesus people movement in the 70s, they tried, right? They tried it, right? Living in communes and stuff. How'd that work out, Dad? Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Every once in a while. I mean, uh, it, it, our human nature, we're just selfish. Even under our best intentions, what God is really trying to say is you've got to put a spiritual mark on your finances. And it's either this, this principle of, of tithe or it's the principle of grace, which is everything. And I, and I do believe that God says you get to pick. Because God wants to, because it's his money, it's not ours. And so, when it doesn't work out, and we're crying and we're weeping at the altar, and we feel as if God has let us down. And it's not just in this tithing category either. You name it, it happens. Relationships. God, you love me? How come I'm hurting in this relationship or this lack of relationship or this betrayal or this hurt? I'm feeling pain, so therefore, God, you must not love me. Right? It's logic that we use. All right, now let's get to the fun stuff. Malachi 3. Verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. 
Spiritual truth, right there. I, the Lord, do not change. The God of the Old Testament, he's the same guy as the guy of the New Testament. Is he nicer? Is he kinder? Is he slow to anger? No, it's the same guy. It's the same God. Trinity existed before the New Testament, and it's the same. In the Old Testament, we read these really bad things that happen because, God, because God's people are unfaithful and bad things happen, and punishment, whatever you want to see it. But God is always slow to anger, like a thousand years slow. He's letting these guys mess off for a thousand years. I and mean, this is fine. You know what? This, you guys are hurting yourselves. So here it comes. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Down to verse 10. Bring the whole tithe. Tithe is Greek for 10%. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Maybe underline this. Test me in this, says the Lord God Almighty. This is the only area in the entire scriptures, this is the only line, the only three words that says this, where God says, you know what? You are allowed to test me in this. And you can't, you can't say, you can't test my love. You can't test my faithfulness. You know, you can't go try and walk on water and test me. But you can test me in this. You can test me in the tithe. You're allowed to. Other areas, let me give you a hint. Let me give you some advice. Don't test God. It isn't going to work out good for you. It's never a good idea to choose off God. You'll lose. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out to you so much blessings that you will have that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. And the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Uh, other translation says, I will hold back the hand of the devourer. I was talking to our elders. I'll just go ahead and tell you their names. The, the uh, Hornickers. They tithe. They have, how many kids do they have? They have five kids. Um, they're all redheaded. I remember when I was a youth pastor, I took them to Joshua Tree, and they were jumping from boulder from boulder, 30 feet up high in the air. I was like, oh my, I was, like my, I was like grabbing my heart because I thought I was going to bring one of these kids home dead. They're fearless. Not a one of them have ever, have ever broken their bones. It's God holding back the hand of the devourer. Whenever they had, not, they didn't have, look, the Hornerkers always worked hard, and there have been seasons in their life when they've struggled and they had nothing. Regardless, they gave, and they were faithful, and now they're blessed. He's going to give a testimony someday to you. He's already given them before. He'll give it again. He wants to. All right. Holding back the hand of the devourer. That means... Well, I don't know. What does it mean? Your appliances last longer? The tires on your... Yeah, it does. Tires on your car don't wear out as fast? It does. Your clothes last longer? They don't wear out so fast? Uh, Even the things that we don't see, God is protecting us. Isn't that cool? Like, I wonder, like, what would have happened if I had enough tithe? See, I can't afford not to tithe. Then all the nations will call you blessed. 
For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord. All right. Now listen to this. This is Proverbs 10. 10.22. The lips of the righteous feed many. Right? So righteous people, by nature, they can't help themselves but to help the poor. And the very words that come out of their mouths are life to poor people. They're food to poor people because they're encouraging. So righteous people feed by giving practical food, but they also feed by speaking life into an individual. But the fool dies for lack of understanding. Verse 22, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich. Okay, it is the Okay, what is the definition of wealthy? What is the definition of riches? Of true riches. True riches. What is the definition of it? Proverbs says, it is the blessing of the Lord that makes true riches. So what is the blessing of the Lord? Is that winning the lottery? I don't think so. If you win the lottery, don't forget your church. But I tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. Um, as far as I know, as far as I know, I've been this, in this game for a while. Maybe he, he can add to it. I have never seen anybody tithe off of their Las Vegas winnings. Have you? No. I didn't think so. And I know... I've seen people that have won the lot. They've gone to Vegas, and they, for, for some freak chance, they actually do well in Vegas, and they buy themselves toys, but they don't tithe on it. Did you see the the mentality here? So yeah, if you won the lottery, chances are you're not going to tithe on it. And you've all seen the stories, right? You've all seen the stories of the people that won yet. How long does it take them for them to destroy their lives? All right, let's continue to look at this. This is so rich. Okay, so it is the blessing of the Lord that makes rich, and he adds no sorrow to it. So what I want is I want the riches from the Lord, whatever form they may take. Maybe they do take a financial form. But I will accept the blessings of the Lord what, no matter what the form is. Because I do not want sorrows attached to it. I, have, uh, I used to work for some very wealthy people. Cheapest people that I've ever met. Very successful people. But there was sorrow attached to their success. Their kids hated their guts. There was a facade in the house. I lived with them for a while. There was a fakeness. There was no joy. There was sorrow in their money. It was cursed. What a trip is that, huh? Do you guys know the story of Faust? You ever heard like Faustian situations? It's where you sell your soul to the devil for power, pleasure, and money. And if you don't get God's mark on your finances, you could very well be doing that. Like, what is your God? Like, what brings you joy? Does the presence of the Lord bring you joy? Or is it entertainment? What, what lifts your spirits? Deuteronomy 5.10 says this, Give generously to him and do not withhold without a grudging heart. Then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work and in everything that you put your hands to. So if we can like adjust our hearts to where we're generous, but we do so out of joy and not begrudgingly, Whatever we put our hands to, God's going to bless. Isn't that cool? It's like having magic hands. 
You thought, okay, if, okay, how many people understand that Acts 2, the Acts 2 church, is basically communism for Christians? Do you guys get that? It's socialism. All you Republicans right now are like squirming in your seats. But that is, that's what God's, like they lived in heaven for about maybe, maybe less than 10 years. They did the little Christian hippie commune thing where everything, they held everything in common. That is what heaven will be like because there will be no uh, uh, greed. There will be no desire for possession. Our sin nature won't take over. So they actually lived in this, in this area of heaven for a while. Something happened to their hearts. Now, if you thought that that was extreme, Jesus is even more extreme. Jesus says, if, you have a, if, if, you, if somebody asks for your jacket, you give them the shirt off your back. Jesus says, if, if anybody asks you for anything, you are to give it to them and, and not complain about it and never ask for anything in return. So if you want to follow what Jesus said, like if I asked you for your house, you'd have to give it to me. That's how far into heaven this community had gotten. That's what Jesus actually expects, is that everybody is walking and living in the Spirit. It's crazy. This will help you understand. Jesus says in Mark 12, And he sat down opposite the treasury, and he began to observe how people were putting money into the treasury. And many rich people were putting in large sums, because the rich, rich people have that opportunity. They can actually put in a large sum. Half of a half of a percent from Bill Gates is a very large sum. Do you guys get that? They estimated that Bill Gates would take the time to bend over to pick up a $100 bill that he would lose money by that action right there. By that investment of time, he would lose money. Isn't that a crazy thought? And so these, they're giving lots of money, large sums of money. I'd be paying attention to that. Wow. Look at all these rich people. $1,000 check. Big check. Wow. Big hit. Big adrenaline rush. So Jesus is watching this, and he says, People are putting in large sums of money. And a widow came up, and she put in two small copper coins, a mite, which is about a penny. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, Truly, I say to you, the poor widow put in more than all the contributors to this treasury. So her penny in the kingdom of heaven was worth more than all of the rich guys put together, who gave so generously, although it did not affect them and their comfort level at all. But the widow gave everything she had. She moved herself into heaven. Isn't that crazy? Truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury. For they all put in out of their surplus but she put out of her poverty. Put in all, she put in all that she owed, owned and all that she had to live on. All right, and you gotta get this. As I close, this is what we gotta get. Second Corinthians 9, 6. The point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he is decided in his heart. That is so important for everybody in this room, including myself. Each one of us must give as he is decided in his heart, and not to do so reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. All right. 
God loves a cheerful giver. And the emphasis is on cheerful. God does not love you because you give. How did we begin this? God has always loved you. One of the things that I hope we're picking up in this series is, like, Judah and Israel, they don't deserve God's love. They didn't do anything to earn God's love. Like, if I was God, I would have picked Esau instead of Jacob. At least he was faithful. At least he was consistent. At least he worked hard. At least he wasn't a liar. See, I don't get this. I don't get God. I don't. I don't. Because what, what the gospel is saying is, God has always loved us. And we did nothing to earn his love. So, Again, heavy, heavy sermon, right? Heavy book. Not a comfortable book to listen to. Not a, trust me, not a comfortable book to preach. But you can't buy God's love. And you can't work for it either. Judah did not choose God. God chose Judah. God chose Israel unconditionally. Judah is loved not because of what they did, because God had called them. I, I could think of other ancient, uh, ancient cultures that, that God could probably love a lot better. Because once again, they're faithful. But see, it's not their faithfulness that drew God's love in. He chose to love them unconditionally. And the worship is a response to that unconditional love. Jesus... You know all those little animals that, that they had to kill, <laughs> sacrifice. It wasn't uh, to pay to get God's good graces. It was a shadow of what was to come. And those cute little animals illustrate and symbolize the work that Jesus did on the cross, on that sacrificing, sacrificing altar. Do you see? He loves us so much that he gave his only begotten son. The reason why this very difficult book is written is because God loves you. Because he knows that money and the love of money, what is the love of money? It is the root of what? It's the root of all evil. He knows that money will make you sick. Just like some of the people I used to work for. Defiled offerings will make you sick. But here it is. Very difficult, huh? Because it's like dieting. Like, because I know everybody's like, yeah, I, I really want to tithe, I really want to give. And I, I totally understand where you're coming from because a lot of us, we're like, we're broke. Like, we're, we're, we're just in bad shape. Totally get that. But I do want to encourage you to put consistently God's mark on your finances. Consistently do it. Work your way up to the tithe if you have to. Um, when I was fasting last week or a couple weeks ago, I realized how much I really liked food. <laughs> like, like how much control it really had for me. So you're going to try to tithe 
Like, maybe right now, I don't know, maybe like you're convicted or guilted. Like, if I've guilted you, please don't give. Go home, do your budget, figure it out. Decide in advance what you're going to give. But it's a lot like dieting. It's hard, it's painful, it's, it's, it's warfare that we do in our flesh, right? Do you, do you see that? It is fleshly warfare. And there's pain in the offering. It's not easy. There, there, there's pain when you're eating celery sticks. That doesn't taste good. But you, but you feel a lot better after you get through it. Does that make sense? It's, gonna, it, I'm not, it's just not easy stuff. It's, it's going to be hard. All right. Let's get the band and ushers come to the front. Ah, oh, man, see? I was doing so good on time. Wait. See, there's something wrong with that clock. <laughs> so, <laughs> I thought I had more time than I actually did. All right, sorry, everybody. I was looking at the temperature, not the time. <laughs> All right. Lord, thank you for this time together. And God, we just, we, we come before you humbly, and I just pray you do a work on our heart. I pray you make us cheerful givers. I pray you give us a spirit of generosity, not just with money, but with our time and with our emotions and with our resources and, and with our love. Help us to be generous with our love. God, right now, in this difficult season that everybody's in, we just pray that you hold back the hand of the devourer. We pray this in your name. Amen.